morning, everyone. I hope you've uh, all been enjoying your summer. This, uh, this summer, uh, we had the, uh, the chance to go camping, and uh, I love camping, and we were able to spend a, a beautiful week in, uh, in a fantastic uh, bay called Bland Bay, nothing at all like the name suggests. Up in, uh, it's a beautiful bay up in, in Northland, and we managed to catch that weather perfectly, so it was, it was a fantastic time of camping. One of the, the worst things with camping, though, uh, is at the end of the camp, pack down. I must admit, I'm a little bit to blame because I don't like to think the holiday is coming to end until right at the end. Uh, and so there's no preparation uh, done for pack down. It's all of a sudden, oh, it's come, let's do it. And so uh, it's, it's all a matter of just going hard at it and uh, you know, pulling everything down and all the, all the, the bedding and the tents and all, every, well, everything, basically. Uh, it creates a, a very busy time and it's a, it's a full-on time. This year was particularly bad because it wasn't that, and then that spell of really fine weather, and so the sun was already up because uh, it sort of tends to get up a little bit earlier, and and it was really really hot, and uh, despite me encouraging the kids to put ice from the chili bin down my back and having a few drinks, I didn't really realise how much I had sweated until I got in the car. Now no. It wasn't the smell that was the issue. It was the thirst. And it was only actually after we got in the car and we were on the road and we were off driving that I suddenly thought to myself, man, I'm thirsty. My lips were all sort of feeling all dry and I had that sort of, that, that sort of, that, that tongue stuck on the top of your roof sort of feeling that you've got and you're thinking, oh, mate. You know, you do all the, the exercises to try and get those saliva glands going to wet your lips and stuff, and, but it wasn't working. To make matters worse, in my forward planning, we didn't have any water in the car to drink. But that was not a problem because I knew that, uh, I knew that we only had a short distance, 45 minutes of just going to my parents' place, and I knew that at their place there was water. But it's amazing, actually, as we did that journey, as, as the thirst got stronger and stronger, I started thinking more and more about this. And it became the dominant thought in my mind as I was sort of driving along. along I was thinking, when I get there, when I get there, I'm going to grab that water and I'm going to have a beautiful drink. Sure enough, when, when we finally get there, the very first thing I do is what? I go grab a big glass, fill it up with cold water, put it to my lips and start drinking. And you know that great feeling when you first take a drink, when you're really, really thirsty and you feel the water go down and just spread across and then, you, and then, then your mouth starts to, to feel normal again? You know that feeling, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it was one of those moments and I just had to do it. I had to let out the, ah. Uh, you know what I mean, don't you? You know, that, that moment of, of satisfaction when you've just put this gorgeous drink of water to your lips and, and your thirst is quenched and, and one glass turns into two glasses, turns into three glasses. Um, 
And it, it, it's, it's a beautiful sensation, isn't it, when, when the thirst is quenched and it's, it's very satisfying. Here in New Zealand, we often take water for granted because all we do is, is turn on the tap and, and there it is. And, uh, you know, although we get some nice weather, pretty much assured that somewhere along the lines we're going to get some rain, aren't we? And the rain's going to come and it's going to water things again. If it's a really bad summer, we might be told not to use our hose. Um, but uh, really we don't, we, we take water for granted. But for many people in the world, actually, water is, 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 is much more scarce. For many people in the world, they've got to travel, they've got to go collect their water for the day uh, from, from wells or from from, from from central taps. But even in places where there are taps and cities, cities with taps and running water, many places in the world are struggling with water shortages. And um, this article was in New Zealand Herald just a, a, couple of day, a couple of weeks ago, talking about day zero is coming. I've ever seen. There's already water rationings from 50 litres per day, about to go to 25 litres a day. And, uh, and it's predicted that by the middle of April, if they get no rain, day zero is going to be there when the taps are going to run dry. A scary prospect. And there's all this concern about uh, water being uh, uh, this, this great commodity, and already all the bottled water is quickly sort of being bought up in the shelves and the newspaper article had the picture of a guy basically filling up his trolley with water and the shelves were all empty behind him. Water is incredibly important. But why is it important? Well, the simple answer is that water is, is, is essential for life. Without water, we die. About two-thirds of our body is water. And if there's no water there, then two-thirds of our body goes, which actually is not a good thing. We don't exist. We die. We can go for weeks and weeks without food, we can go for a few days without water, depending on the circumstances. Water is essential for life. The summer series, we've been looking at some encounters with Jesus. In the, and um, today's encounter that was read by Callahan was from John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And for me, it's, this is one of my favorite encounters with Jesus on, on so many levels. But in these verses, Jesus makes an outrageous claim. And he says, with this background of water being essential for life, he says to the woman, I give living water. In other words, he compares himself to water and says, without me, life does not exist. Without me, you cannot have life. Without me, you cannot have your inner thirst satisfied. It's an amazing claim. 
Let's unpack the story together. As we pick up the story in John chapter 4, it has Jesus sitting by the well and it's noon. It's noon, the sun is high in the Middle Eastern sun, in the Middle Eastern sky, and the sun is beating down. It is baking the ground hard. Everything is dusty. But it also bakes anything else that it sees. Midday is not the time to be doing work. Midday is the time to start seeking shelter. It's the time to have a light meal. Time to have a siesta, really, isn't it? Midday is certainly not the time to do chores. It is certainly not the time to be working hard. But it was the perfect time for this woman. Because everyone else would be heading indoors and things would be quiet around the well. All the other women of the town would have been to the well early in the morning to collect their water supplies for the day, to, do, to be able to do all their chores and, 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 and provide water for the family during the day. They would have done that all early in the morning, not in the midday sun. But this is perfect for her because there'll be less prying eyes, less looks of contempt. There'll be less murmurings behind the veils. Lock up your husbands. Here she comes. I guess she could understand a little. I mean, after all, she was a little bit of a, a, a relationship uh, uh, a train wreck, wasn't she? She'd been on that relationship roller coaster through her life. Five times she had been married. Five times she'd sought satisfaction in the arms of a man. Five times the marriages had failed. And the man she was with at the moment, the man she sought at the moment, should sought to get satisfaction. Wasn't her husband. She wasn't his wife. I'll get that around the right way. And so I guess the woman could understand why, why people would, 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 would reject her and have her as a bit of an outcast, why the other woman would, would shun her. And so it's in the quiet of the midday sun that she puts on her water-collecting jar and heads off to the well. You can imagine her disappointment then as she starts to approach the well and there was a guy there. Not only a guy, but a Jewish rabbi. A Jewish teacher of all people. She would have thought to herself, never mind. Never mind, he will ignore me. For I'm a Samaritan woman. Jewish rabbis will have nothing to do with us. But as she draws closer to that well, imagine her surprise as not only didn't, didn't he ignore her, he looks at her. And the eyes that look at her aren't the eyes of, of, of condemnation, aren't the eyes of contempt, but they're the, they're the eyes of compassion. They're the eyes of understanding. Who is this guy? And then as she gets to the well, he does the unspeakable. 
He speaks. He speaks to her, a Samaritan woman. How dare you ask me for water? How can you ask me for water? For I am a Samaritan woman. The words were out of her mouth before she even thought of them. It didn't make sense. This is an incredible encounter. The encounter is somewhat lost on us in New Zealand because it's not like meeting up with a couple of people at the mall. It's not like guys sitting down at, at the mall and, and saying hi to someone passing by. In Israel, Jews hated the Samaritans. It was a deep hatred that had gone on for centuries. You see, what had happened is that over 700 years before, when, when the nation of Israel had been taken off into to captivity, some of the Jews remained behind. Some of those Jews remained behind to, to stay in, in the area and, and the Assyrians in particular brought people from other nations in to repopulate the, the land, to break down the, the, the culture, basically, is, is what their plan was to be. And so all these people from surrounding lands were, were, were brought in to, to occupy the cities. And some of these Jews who remained then intermarried with the, with the, um, with the foreigners that had been brought in. And so they became this... this, uh, the, the, this, this mingle of identities considered a half-breed, not true Jewish lineage. They'd sold themselves out to the people around. And so, so to many of the, 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 the Jews, this Samaritan group, this group who was formed from this intermingling of, of, of races and cultures, they were worse than And so the Jews hated them and would have nothing to do with them. They thought them as second-class citizens. But it's not only just the races that, that, that blended. It was the cultures. It was the religions, as, the religion as well. Second Kings gives this great account of how um, all these lions, it, it, it describes it as these lions prowling through the countryside, eating all the inhabitants and... Uh, then the king of Assyria saying, we need to send some priests back to the country to tell them how to worship their God, Yahweh. And so they sent some priests back to teach them how to worship Yahweh. But all that happened is that the people then took that worship and they mingled it with this worship and that worship and that worship from all these other cultures and they got this blend of a religion going on. And so in 2 Kings 32, it says they worshipped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. This was the Samaritan people. This was the people despised by the Jews as sellouts. The Samaritans formed their own center of worship, 
not far from the well of Jacob where this story takes place. This is why Jesus in his encounter with her, later in the encounter says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews worship what we do know. And that's where this is all coming from, this background of, of these mingled religions that the Samaritans found themselves in. So a good Orthodox Jew, if he's really strict, would actually just outskirt, go, go around the outskirts of Samaria, um, Samaritan land. Certainly wouldn't go to the cities. But this story finds Jesus, actually. He planned his route straight through the middle. And he finds himself there at the well and a Samaritan woman coming to him. But the encounter is even greater still because she is a she. She's a woman. A Jewish rabbi wouldn't dream of speaking to a random Jewish woman on the streets. It's just the not, not the done thing let alone a Samaritan woman. Jewish custom says that a Samaritan woman is forever unclean. And Jews can never share a vessel that has been used with a, by, by a Samaritan woman. That's the law of, that, that, that's their law. And so when the woman replies, how can you ask me for a drink, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, actually, that little Jews do not associate with Samaritans is actually perhaps better interpreted, use no vessels in common with Samaritans. They don't sit down together and have a drink. This is an incredible encounter. In cultural count, count uh, barriers. Not only is he crossing racial barriers, not only is he crossing gender barriers, but he's also crossing moral barriers. Because who comes to the well at midday? The outcasts. The people who don't want to hang around other people for whatever reason. And this woman is true. This is so true of this woman who, 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 is, who has basically been married five times and is, is currently living out of wedlock with another man. She's morally corrupt. She's an outcast from the outcasts. And yet Jesus chooses to go through Samaria to be at that well to meet with her. This is an incredible encounter where Jesus cuts across every barrier society would put up. He cuts across the racial barriers, the cultural barriers, the gender barriers, the moral barriers. He says to this woman, you are loved. The story screams out to us that no one is beyond the love of Jesus. When he sat there, he saw her 
as a beautifully created being. As a child of God who just didn't know it yet. And he speaks with her. It's with this background then that you can imagine Jesus sitting by the well. And when she said, how can you ask? He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and, what, and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman is confused. She says, well, how can that be? You don't, the, the, the well is deep. You don't have anything to draw with. Where do you get this living water? And what is it? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I can give that living water. And just as water is essential for our, our, our being, for us being alive, so it's me. I am the living water that you need if you really want to be alive. If you really want to have life and have it to its full. Jesus offers living water. But it's not just Jesus saying, it's not just Jesus giving living water as being just essential for, for life. But he goes on to say, actually, if you drink this water that I'm offering, if you drink, if you have what I have to offer, you will never thirst again. And what he's talking about there is not a, a physical thirst for water. It's the deeper thirst that all of us have. It's the deeper longing that all of us have to know who we are, to know why we're here, to know that we're secure, to know that we're loved, to know, to know that, that we have a purpose and to know that we have life with our creator God. And this is what Jesus says is the living water. And he says to if you drink of this, you will not only have life, but you will have this deep satisfaction and you won't thirst for anything again. If you fall in love with me, you're not going to thirst for anything that this world offers you again. Your deepest longings, your deepest thirst will be met. But also notice this about what Jesus says to the woman. He says this, if you knew the gift of God, this water that he offers is a gift of God. And this is a radical, radical concept. 
this concept of God giving a gift of life must have threw her head in. Because it went against the grain of all the other religions which say basically, you've got to do something to earn your position with deity. And then Jesus turns around and says, this is a gift. You don't earn it. You receive it. Mate, what a radical encounter this is. A gift of God. Living water. Satisfying the soul deeply. The woman gets interested. And so she replies to him, Sir, give me some of this water. She sort of thinks, well, you know, I'm curious, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Now, at this point, at this point where you've got people sort of, you know, if, if it was any one of us, then we perhaps need to think about, oh, this person is, is thirsty, they're wanting God. Let's think about um, the sports, four spiritual laws or, or the bridge to, to God or something like that. Got to go but but look, where God, look where Jesus goes with this conversation. He appears to, to, to suddenly go in a different direction. He says, bring your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And I have no husband. And Jesus says, you, you're right when you say you have no husband. You've had five of them. And the man that you're with at the moment, he's not your husband. What's Jesus doing here with this piece of the conversation? What Jesus is doing is he's making her aware of how she is trying to quench the inner thirst that she longs for. This woman's desire has been through her life. The arms of a man, and it just doesn't satisfy her. And Jesus is drawing her out, making her aware of, of how she's been trying to, to satisfy this deeper longing for something. This deeper longing that is only met by the living water. A relationship with our Creator God. The Bible teaches clearly that the deepest longing all of us have, everyone, not just the church, but everyone has, is for a relationship, an intimate relationship with their God, with their Creator God. That's what everyone's longing for. But the problem is, people don't understand this longing inside them. And they misinterpret it as being a longing for, for security and in, 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 in money, security and in, in status. These things don't last. We stand here at the beginning of a, a new year. Well, not quite a new year. We're already a, a, a month in, but I'm still into new year thinking. But often around new years, we often pause and think, well, what am I going to do this year? How am I going to get to the end of this year and feel more satisfied with life? And we, and we start completing little sentences like, well, if only I... And I wonder how you would complete that. If you sat here at the beginning of the year and said to yourself, well, if only I... 
by the end of the year, then I'd be satisfied. Perhaps you'd be saying, if only I got a pay rise, had a bit more in the bank. If only I got excellences on all my exams. If only I could find the, the man or the woman of my dreams. If only I could get that promotion and work. If only I had a bigger house to spread around in. How would you have answered it? It points potentially to some of the things that we tend to, to fill this gap, try and fill this thirst with. Tim Keller in his great book, Encounters with Jesus, has a quote in it by uh, an American author called David Foster Wallace. Now, to be honest, I'm not a literary expert, and, and I'd never heard of this guy before, but apparently he was a, a very famous American author who, who won a number of awards and wrote books, um, uh, pr predominantly fictional books, but he did a little bit of philosophy and things like that when he was going through his, his studies. And David Wallace was not a religious man, but I think he was quite observant. And he, and, he, and he gave this address uh, to the graduates at Kenyon College. And he says this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. That's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need even more power over others to numb out your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They're our default settings. If you worship anything else, it will eat you alive. Haunting words, particularly when it was only a few years later that David Wallace ended his own life. But we see that again and again, don't we? Successful, getting there and finding actually it doesn't satisfy Every year we learn about more and more entertainers and singers and actors and actresses, people who get to the top of their profession, and then the next news about them is what? Found dead in their bathroom. Found dead in the bed. Why? It doesn't satisfy them. They climb to the top and find actually they're still as thirsty as ever deep down. And Jesus says to this woman, come, and I'll give you living water. 
and you'll never thirst again. I wonder, how are you filling your thirst? At this point in the encounter, the woman, I think, was starting to feel that little bit of a, a personal pull in terms of, you know, this guy knows me and I've been exposed. Often what people do when they, they get in, the, in, in, in that situation would be to talk about some rules, something impersonal. And so she quickly changes the topic and says, I can see you're a prophet. You Jews say that we should worship in, in Jerusalem. We Samaritans say this mountain here is holy. Who's got it right? She tries to change the subject and gets away from a personal encounter with God back to some rules and regulations because that's where she feels safe. She can define God if she's just got some rules to follow. People don't like this whole gift of God idea. They like to earn their way. And again, she just falls straight back in this pattern of, well, you tell me the rules to follow. But Jesus, not being sidetracked by that, says, woman, time has come when people are not going to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but they're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Say, sir, woman, a time is coming when, when people aren't going to, to be bound by, by rules in their pursuit of God, but that God is going to be worshipped at an intimate, personal level. And true worshippers of me, true, true worshippers of God, will worship in spirit and in truth. And that time has come now. We know the Messiah is coming and he'll explain all these things. She, she then replies to him. And then Jesus announces, I who speak to you am he. Get a load of that. Jesus announces that he is the Messiah to a Samaritan woman. It's one of the few times that you read in the gospel that Jesus actually announces who he is and it's to a morally corrupt Samaritan woman. But again, such is the love of God. Such is the love of Jesus. And he chooses to reveal his identity to her. And she believes. Jesus says there's a new way of worshipping God. And it's not bound by rules and traditions and regulations. It's bound by an intimate, true worship. But I want to draw you to the fact that this encounter does not finish there. The woman believes and she leaves her jar and hurries off back into town. And that's not the end of the story. says, come, see. Everyone she, say, everyone she comes across, 
She says, come see, this woman who, who, who by, by the looks of it, had been, been shunning people to be in, in solitude, all of a sudden seeks people out. Why? Because she's been convicted, because she's been changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. And she says to them, come see, could this be the Messiah? And people respond to her, and they say, this woman's changed. And they come, they follow, and they come back to Jesus. And they beg Jesus to stay for two more days. And in that time, Jesus teaches them about himself. And in that time, it read, you read about, it says that many others came to believe. And they say to the woman at the end, at first we believed because you said there was something in this, but we've heard him, and now we know for ourselves. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the saviour of the world. I want us to be really challenged by this woman. Because you notice, she never had any theological training before she went and told. She never memorised the bridge to life or the four spiritual laws. She hadn't memorized large portions of, of the scriptures from, from what we know. She didn't say, well, hang on this, Jesus. Let you, let me, let, let's just take me through a, a, a uh, how to witness course, and then I'll go out there and I'll tell others. She had an encounter with Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and she went and said, come, see. She didn't go with all the answers for people. She wasn't trying to say, I can, I can answer all your questions or anything like this. But she went and said, look, I've, I've had this life transformation and I think this is real life. Why don't you come and see for yourself? Come and look at this Jesus. See for yourself. Your thirst just might be quenched as well. And it was Jesus. It was through an encounter with Jesus that they came to believe. And that they came to believe that he was the savior of the world. We don't have to answer every question. We've just got to bring people to Jesus. We've just got to tell them about our personal experience. We've just got to tell them about the deep satisfaction that we find every time we come into his presence. We've got to tell them about the deep satisfaction that we find in knowing who we are, that we are a child of God, and that is never going to change. Tell them about the great peace that, that is, is within us, that, that remains within us, no matter what the external circumstances, no matter what life throws at us. Because of why? Because of our relationship with our Creator God. We know that we're His child and that we're dearly loved. Are you thirsty? Well, the Bible says that, yes, you are. Everyone's thirsty. 
Everyone is thirsty for that deep satisfaction in their soul and their spirit. And that satisfaction is only found through an intimate personal relationship with their creator God. That thirst is only quenched through Jesus Christ, the giver of living water. So I say again, are you thirsty? Is there something deep inside of you that's longing for more? Fill that thirst with Jesus. All these other pursuits, they may be great, but all of them are secondary. Your thirst, your deep inner And when you drink that beautiful, refreshing drink, when you experience the thirst-quenching nature deep within, share some with your mates. They're thirsty too. They just may not know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful encounter of Jesus and the woman at the well. We thank you, God, that you don't hold any, to any racial or cultural or moral gender bar barriers or anything like that, but that your, your love reaches us no matter where we are. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, our deepest thirst in life is met. And that is a relationship with you, knowing you intimately. Father, we thank you for the satisfaction that we find uh, when we drink of you. Father, we just pray that uh, as we enjoy you, that we may share you with, with our mates, with our friends, with our work colleagues who are just as thirsty, just as thirsty for you but just don't know it you're an awesome God and we want to share you around